Welcome to the Caring for EOE podcast, where we'll navigate eosinophilic esophagitis together. From diagnosis to daily living, feelings to finances, and restrictions to recipes, let's create a community that cares for EOE. Welcome to the Caring for EOE podcast. I am really excited to be talking with Claire Johnson today to hear about the story of her diagnosis and how she started EOE Digest to help herself and others embrace food restrictions with flair. Claire, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this opportunity. Oh, well, the, your story is amazing. And I was um, sincere when I said that your website really does bring the food that we eat to life in a new and artistic way, which just um, gives such inspiration for what could otherwise be kind of potentially an unpleasant um, experience. So I look forward to exploring more about your website. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, great. Well, let's start just by talking about EOE and, and how you how you describe it to others. So most of the time, most of my conversations are with college students. So when I'm describing it, it's kind of a short and sweet answer. And usually I just describe it as it's a rare food disease. And then I allow the person I'm talking to to ask questions if they're genuinely curious or if they're okay with that being my final answer. So if they're actually curious and wanting to listen, I describe it as you as a normal person have zero white blood cells in your esophagus. And I have had a count of up to 40, which is called eosinophils. And basically this affects the way I process food within my throat. So that is choking on food, chest pain, acid reflux. Those are a lot of my symptoms. And then, of course, it can kind of lead into people with feeding tubes. And that's pretty much the short and sweet answer of how I describe it. Well, you know, I've never heard someone start by helping the person you're talking to relate to your story by saying, hey, you don't, you don't have it in this way. That was that's really remarkable for me. I'll, I'll have to think about how to weave that into the way I talk about it too. <laughs> I found that it helps, especially just narrow it down and kind of explain the difference between me and the person that's curious about it. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. So yeah, and as you mentioned, you're talking mostly with college students. So tell us more. You're a sophomore. Where do you go to school? And what happened your freshman year? Absolutely. So I'm actually a junior, just started my junior year, but that's okay. okay. Got it. And I go to school at Colorado State University, but I'm originally from Verona, Wisconsin, which is just about 10 minutes outside of Madison. And I wasn't diagnosed with EOE until I was 19 years old and living in the dorms my freshman year. I just can't even imagine. I mean, college is such a transition itself. And knowing what comes with an EOE diagnosis and leading up to it, like, what was that like? It was a challenge, to say the least, especially being out of state. I'm dealing with out-of-network visits and trying to find care in Fort Collins, Colorado, that is also covered by my insurance. So I'm having three-way calls with my mom and our provider, just trying to find places in Colorado that we can be seen with insurance. And eventually I got pretty lucky that I, so how I originally was diagnosed is I reached out to my care team back in Wisconsin and sent them a message over an app and said, 
these are the symptoms I've been having. And at the time, I thought it was a, just a cold. I was experiencing bloody noses, a little bit of headaches, fatigue. And of course, I had just started to choke. And it had been mm. this way for about two or three months. And then after that, they were like, all right, let's get you seen. So I was seen at urgent care in Fort Collins. And they divided all of those symptoms up into completely different things. Fatigue, just being with a college student first time away from home, all of those things. Bloody nose, going from a very humid climate to a very dry climate and winter starting. But the choking, they didn't have a resolution for. And what was originally sparked my conversation with a gastroenterologist is the care team that I saw in Fort Collins the doctor that I saw noticed that I had a high count of eosinophils when they drawed my blood. So, yeah. or when they drew my blood. So that's when I was referred to a gastroenterologist back home in Wisconsin. And that's what's so amazing about the different symptoms that people have with EOE is that it's not a straight line to a diagnosis. Absolutely not. I uh, feel pretty grateful that my care team was really wanting to listen and find the solution quickly, and they didn't brush it aside as just some cold or me not taking small enough bites. They really wanted to help solve what was going on symptoms-wise, and I'm pretty grateful that my diagnosis was pretty straightforward and simple and wasn't all these backwards loops of me having to advocate for myself. Yeah, we are very fortunate in that sense, for sure. Well, and so here you are as a freshman getting this diagnosis. You're away from home. And the first thing that you need to do is figure out what to eat, when to eat it, how to eat it. So what would you do next? Right. So after being diagnosed, I originally was put on medication and that lasted for about half of a year. And that was the budesonide slurry. So taking that twice a day with honey just to help with all the symptoms. And that worked flawlessly, honestly. But then when summer came, I got distracted in work and social life and just was pretty sick of having to take medicine twice a day every day and got stopped taking it. So by the end of summer, middle of summer, I started having symptoms again, started choking again. And at this point, it's peak COVID and I'm about to move into my first college house. So I'm not in the dorms anymore. I don't have to rely on dining hall cooking. I have my own kitchen and I don't have a family that I'm cooking for. Neither is someone cooking for me. So it's almost like the opportunity aligned perfectly. As well as it being COVID, I had a little bit more flexibility in my schedule to practice learning new recipes and spending a little bit more time at the grocery store. So that's, I started the six food elimination diet in September of 2020. And I was diagnosed in January of 2020. In January. And like you said, it was in the middle of a pandemic. Um, You're, you're transitioning to college. And so the, just the amount of things that you were dealing with and the learning curve for EOE, both as a, a disease as well as how to how to treat it and how to handle it, what was the learning curve like? It was a pretty steep learning curve for yeah. me, especially being a college student. Everyone around you is 
paying $10 for their 10 packages of ramen and they're ordering out cheap pizza and they're getting to go out to all of these pasta and cheap fast food places like a normal college student. So that first month of the diet, I struggled pretty heavily watching my friends eat and just craving the things that I couldn't eat anymore. And but eventually after those first 30 days, like almost every habit, I stopped, those cravings just stopped. And obviously I look at those foods and I'm like, wow, that looks really good. I really wish I could take a bite of that, but I don't have those cravings or uncontrollable urges to shove a pizza in my face. Oh, so 30 days was rough, but it is nice to hear that the body does sound like it adjusted a bit. What was the kind of the emotional and the mental piece of it? Um, The first time I went into Target with this new diet, it was a couple days after, and I had probably spent maybe three hours up and down aisles, flipping packages, reading the labels, and previously before walking into Target, I'm trying to look up all these recipes, like, what can I eat on the six food elimination diet? And I'm really not finding much. I'm just finding brands that are top eight allergen free, which was helpful. So I'm searching Target for all these brands that I'm told about. And then eventually after about three hours there, I pretty much left with produce and gluten-free pasta. So then I start, I would, got in the car and I drove to another local grocery store and then to Trader Joe's. And so this day turned into seven hours of me trying to figure out what I can eat and what I can purchase at the grocery store. And I remember calling my parents at the end of the day and I didn't cry to them, but I definitely felt like I was about to. I was just pretty overwhelmed with the situation. Uh, I I know that feeling way too much, especially that experience of time in every single aisle reading every single label it is it's overwhelming and it just feels like yeah like it's a lot more than than we ever bargained for when we take for granted that what we can eat absolutely oh my gosh well you've managed to find some amazing recipes and took some gorgeous pictures of them so tell me how you went from seven hours in the grocery store to creating masterpieces that that you've really been able to share with the rest of the world. <laughs> I think the first foods that I bought were frozen Daya brand pizzas, and I mm-hmm. ate those on end for about two weeks because that was the only thing that I knew I would like. And previous to this, I was a pretty picky eater. I hadn't had a salad. I did not have vegetables on my plate. And I'd be lucky if I gave myself an apple a day. So my diet really consisted of mac and cheese, pizza, graham crackers, ramen. So that transition was pretty difficult that first week of grocery shopping. And then by the time I went back, I had found Pinterest ideas and Instagrams. And I kind of went into it with a better mindset, like, all right, we're going to make this work. We're going to figure out how to attack this. And so I started a blog or a website to combine all the recipes that I'm trying into one platform to make my life easier. And then eventually, about a month later, I decided to publicize it and just share the recipes that I've been making and trialing and airing with just to make someone else's journey with EOE a little bit better. Oh, I love that. Well, tell us how they can find it. 
how sorry excuse me yeah tell us how we can find it where can we go to see so (laughs) the blog is called eoe digest so this is on instagram i do have a website eoe digest.com i have a pinterest and i have a tiktok and all of these um social media platforms are eoe digest as the handle Awesome. Well, I'm sitting here in awe. I'm picturing everything that you're contending with and then your desire to attack this and say, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to put this online and make something of it. It just really is remarkable how your personality has allowed you to approach this in such a, um, just such an optimistic way. Is that, is that a familiar way for you to approach things in life? (laughs) I would say so. I think it makes more sense in my mind. It makes my life a little bit easier if you attack your problems with more optimism and just thinking, all right, how can I make this situation a little bit better? And that kind of relays into my Enneagram number, which we've shared before, which is Enneagram 7, which is kind of this personality of having fun, being optimistic, and trying to make the best out of situations. Oh, that's great. And for anyone who doesn't know, the Enneagram is a personality archetype, which helps people understand the lens through which they see the world. And it's split into nine different types, um, as well as um, 27 subtypes to really get a sense of what are my motivations? What, what are my core needs that I'm trying to fill? And how can I use that to help me better understand myself and, and how I interact with the world around? Absolutely. And it's a pretty unique tool to help learn about yourself and how you can care for the others around you. Oh, I like how you phrase that, how to care for the others, because you're right. If we all have different lenses, it's important to have some empathy about how someone else might be viewing the same situation. Exactly. And I think our personality plays a a big role in how we handle diagnoses like this and then life-altering changes that we need to make. Um, and so for, for anyone who's had a, a bit of a different journey, it's, it's all okay. We all are experiencing this in our own way, both the medical diagnosis and treatments as well as the human reactions to it. And so for anyone that might be saying, oh, I, I wish I were at a place of optimism like mm-hmm. Claire is, it's okay if you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so Claire, are there anything, um, pieces of advice or things you might share to help someone either get there from a mindset standpoint or just to to be with them if it's just not quite where they are in their journey? I think you just nailed it. I personally, in the past 18 months of me being diagnosed and kind of sharing with friends and family, I found out four other people in my close social life also struggle with EOE and all of their diagnoses from age to symptoms to process is completely different and even treatment styles. So I think it's really important to recognize how you can make your specific situation easiest for you. And that may not be trying the six food elimination diet. That may be trying to take two foods out at a time, or maybe you do don't mind the medicine. So you'll just take the medicine. And I think it's important just to recognize that there's a bunch of different treatments and doctor styles. So listening to caring for EOE and finding out what other people have done with their treatment can familiarize yourself with all the possible outcomes and you can decide what you think best works for you. Mm, Yeah, I really like that recognition that 
we may be looking for a checklist of things to do in order to contend with the diagnosis, but really we're, we need to come together as a community so we can share our stories so each person can take from our stories something that could help them. Exactly. And because of the lack of research that's been done and the, just a more awareness of this disease, it's pretty important that us as the victims of this disease are the ones who are sharing their stories with one another and building no, the community. Community. It's so true. And your willingness to share your story is very much appreciated. So thank you for that. Of course. <laughs> so I know um, that you've got other things going on these days. So you had done the six food elimination diet. Are you still on that or where are you now? I am not. So I started the six food elimination diet in September of 2020. Then I published my blog in October of 2020. And so the six food elimination diet for me was peanuts, tree nuts, seafood, shellfish, soy, egg, dairy, and gluten. And this was for three weeks, or for three months, for 12 weeks. And so I got another endoscopy at the end of the month in December of 2020. And there wasn't any good news. My eosinophils had actually gone up. And so this led into the eight food elimination diet where I lost chicken, lentils, and corn on top of the other foods. And after another six weeks of that diet, I went back, got another endoscopy, and my eosinophils were back to zero. So we were pretty confused for a while and came to the conclusion that it was actually restaurant contamination is most likely where my eosinophils had gone up previously. And in between there, I stopped going to restaurants because I didn't trust them. And I had honestly lost a lot of foods at that point. So it was pretty hard to even be catered to in restaurants. But after that, it's been pretty smoothly since reintroducing foods one after a time. And as of August of 2021, I officially know that my trigger foods are gluten and dairy. Wow. What an incredible journey. So how many scopes was that? About seven, I believe. Yeah. And they were all the kind of the, not the na- transnasal ones, right? No, they were all upper endoscopies. So going under and everything. Wow. And you know, your point on restaurants. So my son has food allergies, anaphylactic food allergies as well. And so I'd often considered the contamination around those um, that he can't have. Never dawned on me that restaurants the cross-contamination from an EOE standpoint. And I know that sounds crazy, but we don't go to restaurants often. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm not, I think he's been to one mm-hmm. um, and he's four. And so for others who might be hearing this, that cross-contamination is an important thing to think about for restaurants and EOE. Absolutely. And I know some people's sensitivity to their food triggers is stronger or weaker. So it really depends. For some, cross-contamination may not affect you and your eosinophil a, a, account at all. And for others, you might feel the symptoms within four hours post meal. Yes. Yes. We've noticed that too with my son that it's, you know, it's not immediate and in a way it would make it a lot easier to have a one-to-one connection. But Yes, definitely. Wow. So, 
Well, and I'm curious. So knowing that you were diagnosed as a young adult, if you look back on your childhood, were there symptoms that you're like, oh, now that all makes sense? Or was this really out of the blue for you? (laughs) I think one of the most prominent symptoms in my life was just being the slowest eater at all times. My friends used to tease me when we would eat out or sit at the high school cafeteria. And it was just kind of this running joke that Claire was always this slow eater And she was always the last one at the table when I knew that I was eating slowly because if I ate fast, it would cause me chest pain. And I hadn't started choking at that point yet, but the chest pain almost was immediately after I would eat whatever my trigger foods were at that time. So gluten and dairy, which I didn't know. But yeah. So it was always this kind of running joke that Claire was this slow eater. And then other symptoms, of course, were the chest pain that only I knew about, acid reflux. And then eventually I didn't start choking until I was about 18. I had just turned 18. And the chest pains, if you have had them regularly, was it hard for you to know that this actually isn't something that people deal with? I think it took me a while. It took me maturity and it definitely took me going away from home to even realize that this wasn't a symptom that other people had. And this chest pain had just kind of been going on for as long as I can remember, but it wasn't um, consistent. So I would go two weeks without feeling chest pain. And then all of a sudden after one meal, it'd be a really prominent pain in my chest. So that was one of the things for me. I was like, well, maybe... This is just a result of me eating too fast or not taking small enough bites. So I would always try to take the small bites, eat slower, process it better. And then eventually, after a little bit of maturity and leaving home, I kind of realized, okay, so this chest pain doesn't really have anything to do with how fast or big of bites I take. It's actually the foods that I'm eating. Mm. And was there ever a moment where you were thinking, oh, I should probably tell my mom or my doctor I'm having these when you were younger or again, like just didn't register? I think the moment was I was in the dorms and I was eating chicken noodle soup out of a Campbell's can as a classic college freshman. (laughs) And I remember I was living alone. And so I remember taking a bite and immediately I choked. And that was one of the first times that I choked seriously and I was pretty much I was struggling pretty badly to get it out and eventually I it kind of just came up and I was like okay so this isn't normal and I'm not sick I don't have any other problems going on so this choking is not normal and at that point you went to the uh the facilities on at your college yep wow Wow. I can't imagine your mom. As a mom, I just can't even imagine then hearing that story. How is your mom? <laughs> oh, I love her. She tries her best to make foods when I'm home or purchase brands that she knows I can eat. And sometimes she still makes mistakes. And as her daughter, it's heartbreaking to be like, I really appreciate your effort, but I still can't eat this food. It has this ingredient. I know. Because yeah, you know, for dairy... <laughs> Yeah, dairy shows up in weird names and, um, and and ingredients that we wouldn't always know. Exactly, Aww. it's a lot about training yourself. So if you don't, if you haven't been living with it personally, it's hard to recognize that on labels. But I do appreciate and love that she tries and wants to be there for me. I'm very thankful for that. 
No, of course. That's so great. Well, for other college students who might be contending with EOE, either because they knew they've always had it or it's something that's somewhat new, what advice do you have and, and advice for the parents who are not next to their kids day in and day out now that they're in college? I think one of the biggest things is finding a great support system of friends and family who will help advocate for you. I know that me and my roommates, my best friends, we all sit down, we have a meal, we're all eating different things. And before they even think to share their food, they kind of go through the list of things that they know I can't eat. And I'm like, did I put any of these ingredients in my recipe? Or they'll run their list by me before they share. So I'm really thankful that I have friends that care and are attuned to what I can and can't eat and are even willing to advocate for me when I'm not feeling courageous enough at a restaurant or eating out at a friend's house who's trying to share their food. They, they a lot of the times are the ones that stand up and be like, Claire actually can't eat that. <laughs> it just feels like there's sometimes my mom when I'm away from my mom just helping stick up for me. So I think one of the biggest pieces of advice I have is finding a good support system and also knowing that you don't have to do a diet. You can rely on the medicine. And for me personally, it worked pretty well. And I know that's not everyone's story. So if you have to try the diet, I'm sorry for you, but I promise you can make it through it eventually. I don't know how long it'll take, but just having a really good support system and having a good optimistic outlook will make the situation feel a lot better than it actually is. And for a disease that's pretty isolating and hard to ask for help, I'm grateful to your friends too. I can just picture them surrounding you with the the love and the care and the advocacy that can sometimes be hard for us to muster up ourselves. So kudos to them. Great friends. Awesome. Well, as you look ahead, there's lots of exciting things for you um, in your life. What what are you optimistic about either your journey or, or the EOE community in general? I think after starting this blog, one of the biggest things I've seen is the community around people affected by EOE. And I think it's really encouraging to have all those voices on so many different platforms to raise awareness and to advocate for one another. So I think that's one of the most encouraging things is knowing that other people are going through this as well. And even some of the posts are in Spanish and French and German. So they're in all these languages and you know it's not just you alone in this town in Colorado. It's people across the world. As well as I know that the research is only getting better from here on out. So I'm pretty encouraged to know that People are working on this, researchers, scientists, doctors, they're all working on what's causing this, how can we fix it, and what's a permanent solution that we can have for this. So it's only going to get better from here, in my opinion. Oh, I love that as a closing thought. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we sign off? I just want to say for anyone who's listening that you can you can do this it's a struggle and some days you'll feel pretty defeated but it's all about the good days that you find a new recipe that you actually enjoy so just keep powering through it well thank you for those words of wisdom and advice and encouragement and check out the eoe digest on uh Instagram and on your website. And Claire, thank you again, and I wish you all the best as you move forward. Thank you. I really appreciate this time, and I hope that everyone listening has a wonderful week. <laughs>